1994, a man by the name of Harold Camping predicted the rapture would occur on that year. When the rapture failed to materialize, instead of admitting, he delivered false prophecy, making him, at worst, a false prophet, at best, misguided. Instead of admitting any of that, he simply admitted to having made a mathematical miscalculation. Among other things, he said he hadn't studied the book of Jeremiah carefully enough, but he had taken care of that, and he simply regrouped and was at it again. For the last several years, especially beginning at around 2002, from what I've been able to put together, he has been prophesying that the rapture would occur on May 21st, 2011. His network of Christian radio stations, along with the internet, broadcasted this prediction literally around the world. Jesus was coming for true believers on May 21st. That was yesterday. I know it didn't happen because my wife is still here. (laughs) Hundreds of thousands of people from around the globe bought into this prediction, saw them bumper stickers, license plates, billboards. His message captured interest and followers from Iceland to India. You can imagine. In fact, I saw uh, pictures of billboards his organization had actually rented in other countries. He said in a recent interview, and I quote, On May 21st, the rapture will occur, and beginning at 6 p.m., the world will be plagued by massive earthquakes and other natural disasters that would make Japan's earthquake in March look like a Sunday school picnic in comparison. He went on to say the Bible has given so much information about this, that is the May 21st, 6 p.m. date. The Bible has given so much information about this and so many proofs and so many signs that we know it is absolutely going to happen without any question at all, end quote. In fact, he even predicted that since the waters of the flood lasted on the earth for about five months after covering the earth, He claimed that because of that, that was proof that after the rapture took place, there would be five months of suffering on earth before all the inhabitants were eventually killed. So because of that, you need to understand that his prediction was twofold. First, that the rapture would take place on May 21, and five months later, the end of the world would occur on October 21st. Now what makes Harold Camping's predictions all the more troubling to me and I want to spend a little time on this today, is because he is viewed by our world as an evangelical. He began a gospel-oriented ministry of radio broadcasting in 1958 when he bought his first radio station. Over the years, what has emerged, however, is an unaccountable man obsessed with mathematical formulas and date-setting and allegorical interpretations, which has now misled hundreds of thousands of people. In fact, his beliefs have led him to deliver false teachings that are, in my view, far more serious than miscalculating the date of the rapture. The reason I'm going to spend time on this subject today is not so that we can all sit around and say, hey, look, the rapture didn't happen. Now, I want to deal with a larger subject, which is the confusion and devastation brought about by this kind of thinking, this kind of date-setting. And why it's not only wrong, but harmful to the church worldwide and discrediting to the gospel. I have a desire as well to protect this flock by addressing this issue of false prophecies, especially as they relate to setting dates for the coming of Christ. There are a number of reasons 
Setting dates is wrong. At best, destructive at worst. And, and I, want to give you, I want to give you seven of them, okay? First, date setting destroys the doctrine of imminence or imminency. That is the biblical teaching of the imminent return of Jesus Christ for his church. Even the exact date he returns with the redeemed to set up the kingdom following the tribulation. All of that is destroyed by the setting of a date. Predicting the date of the rapture literally goes against passage after passage where the apostles clearly taught and expected and led the early church to believe and expect and long for and look for the coming of Christ. In fact, they commanded the church to be ready at any moment. Not ready in the manner of sitting on your hands or climbing a hill or quitting your job but serving and persevering and and growing. In fact, Peter would write it this way, the end of all things is near, therefore go hide out. No, he didn't say that. No, the end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. A few verses later on he says, as each of you has received a gift, a special gift, employ it in serving one another. That is, stay busy, work for Christ, live for him. So the believer is to look for Christ and to live for Christ at the same time. We say to one another, he's almost here. We are not forsaking the assembly so much so as we see the day approaching. It's closer now than ever. So let's provoke one another unto love and good works, the writer of Hebrews said. In light of what we believe, he could come today. James wrote in chapter 5, we've been learning as we've gone gone through that epistle up to chapter 5, be patient, brethren, he wrote, until the coming of the Lord, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's near. John the Apostle wrote, little children, it is the last hour. It's the last hour, 1 John 2, 18. He didn't say this is the last hour, which is going to be 8 a.m., He said, we're living in the last hour. There's a vast difference in those two. And I've said it before, I'm going to say it again in light of this study. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, we who are alive and remain, he thought he'd be alive when the rapture took place. We who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord are going to be caught up. That's Latin in the Latin Bible, rapturo, translated caught away, literally snatched away. Gentleman in our church was raised, he's Greek, raised, understands the Greek Bible like I wish I did. And he said, Stephen, my dad always used that verb on us. If you don't straighten up, I'm going to come and snatch you away. He said, I was well aware of what that verb meant. (laughs) We who are alive will be raptured away, snatched away to meet the Lord on the air, 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 to 17. So to the apostles and to the early church, there was nothing that had to happen prior to the rapture of the church. You need to understand that. It will be immensely helpful and protective of you in these days. There are not, listen carefully, there are not any signs of the times to be fulfilled in order for the rapture to take place. I hear that all the time. There are things that will be fulfilled in the tribulation prior to the coming kingdom, but not during this church era. There are no signs to be fulfilled. We're not waiting for something to trip so that Christ can come for the church. Peter expected him to come then. John expected him then. Paul expected him during his lifetime. This is the doctrine of imminency. 
There are some things that will take place in the tribulation. We studied, we studied the tribulation here for two years. We thought we'd die in the tribulation, and we eventually got, got through it. But there are things that are going to take place during the tribulation, and we, we see hintings of that now and have for 1,900 years, such as apostasy, unbelief, the spirit of Antichrist. John said the spirit of Antichrist is rampant in his day. We see that today. Anti-Semitism, hatred of the Jew, wars, rumors of wars, sexual perversion, natural disasters. They've all been taking place in some measure throughout the church age, but they are going to erupt with incredible intensity and devastation during the tribulation following the rapture of the church. If anything, they they can signal to us the horror of what it would be and why we warn people. It's part of the gospel. When a natural disaster occurs, you can certainly say these kinds of things are going to be happening in in, in greater number and intensity in the tribulation period. So, So these are warning signs of how ferocious the wrath of God will be when he pours it out on the earth during that period of time. So we warn the world. But here's something else that will protect you from false predictions and imbalance prophetically. I want you to keep in mind that the term last days, last days is a biblical term for the age of the church. We've been in the last days for 1,900 years. These are the last days. How do I know that? The writer of Hebrews clearly said, in the past, that is in the Old Covenant, in the past... God spoke to his people through the prophets, but in these last, what, days, he's spoken to us by his son, through uh, the agency of his son. You hold in your lap the words and works of Jesus Christ in this new covenant. It ended with his statement, I am coming quickly, and John said, amen, come quickly, come on, Lord. In these last days, I know this isn't going to sell very many books, but the church has been in the last days, according to Hebrews 1, since the first century. There was nothing, there has been nothing in the way of the rapture of those redeemed. Paul and the others believed that that company would be much smaller than we believe today as the church has grown and developed. Any other view destroys what the apostles clearly taught that the church has always believed that Christ could come at any moment. This is one of the billboards put out by that organization. It's a wonderful billboard, except for the date. He is coming again. Great. That's true. May 21st, 2011. You know what that effectively did? That effectively communicated he cannot rapture the church on May 20th or May 19th or April 5th. Or September 1st, it destroys what the apostles taught that Christ could come at any moment. Destroys imminency. And by the way, Harold Camping is only one man in a long, long, long list. They go all the way back to the early church. I read much of the list of date setters. And and, and i got to tell you, in an odd sort of way, and I'm not going to bring it to you today because all of that would just completely wipe you out. But in an odd sort of way, the fact that date setters can be tracked all the way back to the early church reveals that all the way back then the church was expecting Christ. 
If anything positive can be discerned from history is that the church has been expecting him. And, and, and you need to understand that that makes us vulnerable because we believe it. We know it's true. All of the prophetic scriptures of Christ's second coming will come true just as his first coming came true. So we're in a way vulnerable, aren't we? We believe it. We want it. We long for it. We expect it. But somebody comes along and says, I got the date. And people, I think many people hoping it's true, fall for it. And we're going to talk about what that has done as a result. But you can go all the way back. I'll give you just a couple of, of examples. In 236 A.D., a church father named Hippolytus said that the Scriptures taught that Christ was returning in 500 A.D. Now, what he meant was the way he tortured the Scriptures, they did say that. You won't find that. A century later, another church leader came along and amended that date to 400 A.D. An early German pastor made headlines a couple hundred years later than that by predicting that Christ would return at 8 a.m. on October 19th, 1533. He even had the time of day. It ended up being quite embarrassing, I read, because Martin Luther, who was alive, wouldn't go along with him. In spite of that, a large crowd gathered in his German town and at the appointed time and sometime after 8 a.m. left him. Standing alone. In 1902, fast forward the tape, a group of Protestants were uh, convinced of the date. They, they waited for Christ to return to their rural Canadian village on a certain day. Since the rapture, this article said, since the rapture meant they would be leaving their clothing behind, as an act of even deeper commitment and belief in their prediction, they arrived and waited together completely naked. You just can't make this stuff up. Out in the cold Canadian air they waited. The article went on to say Christ did not return, but there were several cases of frostbite reported. <laughs> you just can't make this stuff up. If you're going to buy into it, if you're going to follow, as if the clothing would somehow drag them down or slow them down, if you're going to buy into it, keep your clothes on, okay? <laughs> That's all you hear, hear that. Keep your clothes on. All these date setters, all these countries, all these centuries, have one thing in common. You know what it is? They're all wrong. But it's worse than that. Because if that's all it was, we wouldn't spend any time on it. The president of an evangelical network of Christian radio stations has declared that. At least it used to be. His radio stations once aired Bible-believing programs, and things began to change. And in fact, as I researched this, one of the things that troubled me that made me want to come and even further warn this flock is that his wrong prediction about the rapture was incidental compared to the other errant theology he was communicating that makes me want to say to the folks that followed him, wake up, go to the Word, be textually driven, compare what he says to the Scriptures. And I want you to do the same with me. Paul told Timothy to warn his flock that, that believers, genuine believers, pseudo-believers among them, will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. And, and hundreds of thousands did just that. Followed a myth. But what's worse, Harold Camping has claimed that God is actually finished with the church. That the church had been set aside by God in judgment back in 1994. He amended that, the meaning of the date. He said he'd raptured the church in 1994. He came along later and said, no, what that really meant was that he's done with the church. He's finished with the church. 
He said in an interview that true believers now need to leave the church and form fellowships around, not surprisingly, his teaching. He began teaching that since the Holy Spirit has left the church and the age of the church is over, that God is now using family radio and ministries like it to evangelize the world. And his message that he's been preaching that ended yesterday was that Jesus was coming for the church, the believer, the true believer, on May 21st, 2011. Now let me throw this in. Frankly, I believe that my generation and the generation just before me probably did more to cripple the doctrine of the imminent return of Christ than any other generation. Our generation has been obsessed with, imbalanced at times, mistaken at times, paranoid at times, downright ridiculous at times about signs of the end times. You write a book and have something like that on the title and it's going to sell. Now the primary incentive or or foundation for much of that followed the establishment of the state of Israel in 1948. And for decades, books were churned out effectively saying, the prophetic clock can now begin moving again now that Israel has returned to the land. The belief that the establishment of the, uh, of the state of Israel in 1948 sort of triggered this prophetic countdown, implying, although they wouldn't want to say it out loud, that Christ could not have returned for the church in 1947 or 1937. Again, destroying imminency. Listen, the regathering of Israel, keep this in mind, would you? The regathering of Israel is a prophetic culmination of events that will finally and fully take place during the tribulation. Every ship, the prophet said, will set sail. The belief that things have now happened that that free up the possibility of the rapture distorts, if not destroys, imminency. I remember here as a kid hearing evangelists that came through the church, well-meaning, and they would preach prophetic series, talk about all the developments, all the inventions, and it was pretty exciting stuff. I remember hearing um, one of them preaching about, I think it was about 12 or 13, about this computer that had been invented and it was huge. Several stories in New York, of course. Had to be in New York. And, and it, was, it was amazing. It was so powerful, so big, so massive that it, it could contain everybody's name and address and social security number and profile and the whole thing. And it was even nicknamed the Beast. I mean, that's good preaching. We all got saved. I mean, we all got saved that night. It was powerful. All a number of things have developed. Now, now you'll hear about embedded microchips. You know what? The, the Antichrist will use anything and everything to track and persecute those who come to faith in Christ during the tribulation if it hadn't been outdated by them. But the truth is, I know it's shocking to say this, but Jesus Christ could have raptured the church prior to the invention of the computer or the microchip. Now, I want you to understand, there there isn't anything unbiblical in saying and be observing all the activity that's happening in Israel. 
Look at all the activity. Look at the growing animosity toward the Jew. Look at the posturing of the Islamic world against the state of Israel. Look at the jostling of European nations for power. Look at the desire for a one-world currency. Look at, look at the advancements of global communication. It could all be a prelude to the coming peacemaker who will come and bring about peace in the Middle East, the Antichrist, and that future battle against Israel during the tribulation. I mean, if the, you can say it. If the apostles believed, expected Christ, then we can be standing on tiptoe now. Nothing wrong with that. It's one thing to say, look at everything. The Lord is nearer than ever. It's another thing entirely to say, look at everything happening. Now that all that's happened, we can be raptured. That's when you cross the line. Nothing has to happen. Or had to happen. Since the day when Peter said, this is it. We're living in the last hour. These are the last days, by the way, that God has privileged us to live in and serve Him. Date setting destroys the doctrine of imminence. Okay, that's my first point. I've got six more to go here, but we'll. <laughs> Who knows? The rapture could end your misery, okay, before I get to number seven. <laughs> Secondly, date setting disobeys the teaching of Christ. In Matthew 24, Jesus is preaching what we call the Mount Olivet Discourse about his physical glorious return at the end of the tribulation in which he sets up his kingdom, physical, literal kingdom on earth for a thousand years, Revelation tells us. But he said this, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. So anybody who says, I know... Save the day just went beyond Christ. No one knows the day or the hour, not even the angels of heaven, not even the Son, referring to himself, but the Father only. What's he saying? Jesus is speaking as fully man. Sometimes he speaks and gives us that human vantage point. Sometimes he speaks and reveals his deity. He's speaking here as a man, voluntarily restricting his divine prerogatives to the will of the Father. And he did so, among other things, I believe, to emphasize that the exact moment of his return would not be known by humanity. Not even the angels. As if to imply that there are some secrets left to God. The Father. I think it's interesting that before the risen Christ, glorified Christ, descended back to heaven, in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, that last conversation he had with his disciples, they said to him, okay, now, now Lord, are, are you going to set up your kingdom at this time? We think that now would be a great time. And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. By the way, he didn't say at that moment in time that he didn't know. He said it is still entrusted to the authority of the Father. And what he's doing is he's taking you back into Jewish customs, the Jewish wedding scene, where it was the right of the Father to give the command to his son to go get his bride. That was the role of the Jewish father. Everything was ready. Everything was prepared. But the Father would give the word, son, go get your bride. 
All that to say, Jesus Christ clearly admonished his disciples to steer clear of date setting, the day, the hour, trying to figure out the exact moment. And there's wisdom in that admonition, isn't there? I mean, and anybody who says, I've, I've got the date, save the date, would you please tune him out, turn him off? The only reason I would even sit on that bench is to cover the date. Date setting destroys the doctrine of imminence. It disobeys the teaching of Christ. Thirdly, it distorts the clarity of Scripture. It distorts the clarity of Scripture. There isn't a date. There isn't an hour provided in the teaching of Scripture. So what you've got to do is you've got to take your Bible and you've got to turn it this way. Or this way. Or read it standing on your head. Or shake it, maybe something will fall out. Or use an allegorical method of interpretation, assigning mystical, spiritual things to physical descriptions. Harold Camping claimed to have arrived at this date through a complex mathematical formula, basically an allegorical interpretation of numbers, in an attempt to find something deeper. For instance, he assigned the number 5 to atonement. He assigned the number 10 to completeness. And he assigned the number 17 to represent heaven. And here's how he did it. Now, I'm only going to tell you this one time, so take notes really fast, okay? Here it is. Christ hung on the cross on April 1st, 33 A.D. The time between April 1st, 33 A.D. and April 1st, 2011 is 1,978 years. If those years are multiplied by the number of days in a solar year, a little longer than a calendar year, the result is 722,449 days. 5 times 10 times 17 squared equals 722,500 days. So the difference then between April 1st, 33 AD, and April 1st, 2011 is 51 days. So add 51 days to April 1st, 2011, and you end up with May 21st. Thus, the rapture will take place on May 21st, 2011. Now, why didn't I see that? (laughs) Why didn't you see that? And you're all going, are you kidding? In an interview with the Washington Post, he said he came up with that date through a mathematical calculation that would crash Google's computers, and he should have heard himself saying it wasn't the interpretation of Scripture, it was a mathematical formula. And somehow, though, he convinced people that God had given him so many proofs from the Bible about that date. The Bible, ladies and gentlemen, now even more to our world and to those in the church that believe it all, becomes even more a coded mystery book. Words don't mean what words mean. And and it's going to take some really bright thinking to come up with it. And people like me that flunked algebra (laughs) don't have a chance. I had to read that like 10 times before I finally caught on. The greater danger, though, with date setters is if you read between the lines, and even not so in between the lines, they imply special knowledge, special revelation from God, which is another sign, by the way, of a modern-day false prophet Hear that. Someone who comes along and claims special knowledge from God, lace up your boots and run. And that that applies to me. If I or any elder of this church gets up here behind this 
desk and says, God has revealed to us special knowledge. And we've got a formula now that that determines something you're to do tomorrow. Leave. Even if I say that, leave. Even though you love me, leave. On his website, he said this, and I quote, It was not until a few years ago that the accurate knowledge of the entire timeline of history was revealed to true believers. During these past several years, God has been revealing a great many truths which have been completely hidden in the Bible until this time. Now you can interpret that to mean God has revealed to me secret knowledge. This is Gnosticism, if anything. The inside scoop on the end of the world. And all who agree with me are true believers. That's what he's saying. One of their signs, they had a caravan of trucks that went around. One of their signs said, Noah knew. And the implication is, you can too. Noah knew. Well, I went back to Genesis and read it again. And it's interesting to me how little we're told of what he knew. He was told that there would be judgment coming. He preached for 120 years while he built. It wasn't until the end of 120 years that he was brought into the ark. And and then I think to his surprise, he had to wait seven more days. But you know, I wonder what the 120 years could mean. Maybe if we added that to... Oh, never mind. Okay, I... (laughs) getting carried away here. But you see how this can go on and on and on with allegory. Date setting, fourth, distracts the focus of the church. The focus of these people was no longer the gospel, no longer discipleship, no longer teaching, no longer preaching, no longer church planting, no longer missions. Just just May 21. So much damage done here. For the last several years, Camping spent more and more time on the air explaining to his listeners I think he's like 89, 90 years old, explaining to them why they should leave their churches, why they should abandon the oversight of elders, why they should even stop observing the ordinances of baptism and communion. He claimed, and I'm reading here, since the church was no longer empowered by God, that the ordinances of baptism and communion were now relics of the past. Right there, a critically thinking Christian would go, ah, something's wrong there, and go find it in 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show the, the death of Christ until he, what? Comes. There's no gap. Anybody who says you need to stop the ordinance of communion before Christ's return should have immediately, that, that should tip off the believer. Unfortunately, it didn't for many. In some parts of the country, pastors were reporting that as this date came closer, relationships were fragmenting. As many as eight, nine, ten families of even smaller churches were leaving, believing, Harold Camping. Ladies and gentlemen, our mission is not to deliver the date of the rapture. In fact, if we knew when it was, that's exactly what we'd do, isn't it? These folks are no different than us in that sense. If we really believed or if we were told the date, 
we would deliver that date and everything else would go by the wayside. We would miss every other element of the gospel and, and the Christian life. I mean, why bother with anything? That's why God in his wisdom didn't tell us. He, look, he said, look for me. I, I could come today. I'm coming quickly. James says that his foot is on the threshold. He wrote that 1,900 years ago. I mean, he's already opened the door. But the wisdom of God in not telling us is that if he did, everything would go by the wayside. If it were 150 years from now, do you imagine how discouraging that would be to us living now, to those suffering? This is our, our blessed hope, the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's given every generation, every believer that hope without giving us the time or the day, which is so encouraging. But you think about just the practical duties of life. I mean, why cut the lawn on Friday if you know he's coming on Saturday? Any of you have the laundry pile up? I mean, why bother with that? One New York man spent his entire life savings advertising this prediction. In the last five years, in just five years, the followers of this man's prediction gave him $70 million to fund this effort to warn the world Jesus was going to rapture the church on May 21st. What a colossal waste. How the enemy of the church laughed up his sleeve. What a waste. Much of it, I believe, ladies and gentlemen, came from genuine, misguided, believable, or I should say gullible, compassionate believers who bought into this false prophet's special knowledge from God. I, I even believe that God could use that to bring someone to make a decision for Christ. No doubt in my mind. But many genuine believers were caught up in this, which leads me to the fifth tragedy that comes from setting dates. It discourages the misguided believer. Several of Camping's followers were interviewed on national public radio before the event. One of them said, well, why are we going to work for more money? I mean, all that's unnecessary. So quit his job. Many did. Got rid of their belongings, quit their jobs. One woman interviewed said that knowing the date of the end of the world changed my future plans. Listen to what she did. She'd planned to go to medical school until she began tuning in to family radio. A year ago, she and her husband decided to spend the remaining year, get that, remaining year with her infant daughter. In other words, forget the gospel, forget the church, forget serving Christ, forget the medical community, forget your job. We're going to spend the, the, a year closeted away as a family. And I can't help but think, now what? One couple said, we budgeted everything so that on May 21st, we would have nothing left as our statement of faith. And you think, now what? How discouraging this would be, a, what do they do now? I'll tell you what they need to do. Go and repair the relationships they've broken off with of those they said were not true believers. And watch, and I do hope and trust and pray this would be the, the case, and, and watch those not so true believers. Serve them and help them get back on their feet. The Associated Press reported 
that the Hmong ethnic minority of Vietnam, many of them, thousands of them following this prediction, gathered near the border of Laos. They had begun arriving since the beginning of May. This minority of people brutally treated. Their lives already so difficult. Oh, how wonderful it would be. These that believed the message of the prediction and they traveled together and waited and you can't help but think, now what? They have to go back to their already difficult lives, pick up the pieces, somehow try to believe that even though everything they heard was made up, believe that the word of God is, is still true and that the God of this word is still coming back one day. Date setting discourages the misguided believer. Sixth, perhaps equally damaging, it delights the unbeliever. It delights the world of unbelievers. It literally fuels the fire of their their skepticism. It reinforces their unbelief. The apostle Peter wrote that because of false teachers, the truth will be maligned. 2 Peter 2.2. You could translate that Greek word literally, the truth will be injured. It will hurt the truth. It will hurt truth bearers. So you're going to go back to work tomorrow, and people are going to be looking at you sideways because you're in the evangelical community. Hey, didn't one of you guys you know, say, well, what do you think now? You know, the gospel, you people, I tell you, you, you believe that stuff? You mean you actually went to church after he didn't come? Why even worry about that? You should know it's over. None of that makes sense. In fact, in Tacoma, Washington, the atheist organization of that state organized an after-the-rapture party. Several states, in fact, this particular group called their party Countdown to Backpedaling. They'd kept a clock running, about, started about five months ago, counting down to 6 p.m. on May 21st. They called it Countdown to Backpedaling because Family Radio would be wrong and they'd have to come up with a way to change their story when Judgment Day didn't come. Here's what the Central, and North, Central North Carolina Atheists and Humanist Society had to say about yesterday. And I quote, Though the absurdity of this claim is obvious to the majority of the world, It's a great opportunity to highlight these bizarre beliefs and raise awareness of the need for reason. And why wouldn't they? Others decided to cash in on it. You know, I actually read about two two organizations that started a pet care industry for pets left behind by the people that were raptured. The Washington Post reported that for $135 and $20 each for each additional pet, Eternal Earthbound Pets USA, or another organization called After the Rapture Pet Care, these organizations will come and pick up your pet within 24 hours after the rapture, guaranteed. I mean, if we miss the point or what? You know, you're not getting raptured, you're going to die and go to hell, but would you take care of my cat, my, my dog? I'm not saying anything about cats. I just said, would you take care of my cat or my dog? <laughs> I mean, how is that missing the point as the church? Hey, well, I'm going to give you 135 bucks. Would you make sure you pick up Fido? I mean, we have missed the gospel in this. 
There are 44 contractors to those organizations now in 26 states. Think about it. Who's paying them? People who believe in the rapture. One final problem I'll raise. It dilutes the warning of true judgment. When dates are set and then passed by, we've only emboldened the, the unbeliever. And now to go back and say, hey, you know what? Jesus Christ could rapture the church and, and judgment will come. <laughs> They'll come. Are you kidding? Oh, you're one of those guys. We've played into the hands of the enemy who now... As Peter said in his own generation, by the way, he's speaking of the last days. He said, here's what's going to happen in these last days. Mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, 2 Peter 3, verse 4, where is the promise of his coming? And Jesus isn't coming back. Where is the promise of his coming? What about all that stuff you said came out of the Bible? A lot of math, but it was the Bible. It didn't happen. What is it about you, people, and this promise? And all that this kind of thing does is dilute the warning of coming judgment. In fact, I went back to this text in Second Peter in light of these predictions, and I couldn't help but think that perhaps those who claim to speak for Christ did nothing more than reinforce the foundation upon which the unbeliever stands to mock Christ and his word. We have added wood to their fire. We put gas in their tank. And listen, all the while, the tragedy of a coming judgment is real. The whisking away of the church is real. We know that Christ will fulfill all of prophecies of Scripture in His first and second advent. It's true. It's going to take the church a while to get beyond this to where God's Spirit will be working in people, and I trust it will happen tomorrow. Somebody at your job, somebody in your neighborhood will say, you know, that guy, he he seemed a little off. What do you think? And you can deliver the gospel. What do we do in the meantime? Here's what we're to do. Keep on living for Christ and keep on looking for Christ. That's what we do. That isn't going to sell a lot of books, but that's the truth. Keep on living for Christ and keep on looking for Christ. In fact, John put it this way in 1 John 3, 2 and 3. When he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now notice this. And everyone who has this hope of seeing him purifies himself. There's a correlation between the hope of seeing him and living for him. So we keep on looking for him. We keep on living for him. Uh, Theodore Epp, and I close with this, a Bible teacher from a couple of generations ago who founded Back to the Bible Radio, another radio Bible teacher I thought would be good to quote him. Uh, He founded this uh, organization after he retired, went home to be the Lord. He was replaced by a man named Warren Wearsby, who taught for a number of years, who was replaced then when he uh, retired by Woodrow Kroll, committed to the exposition of Scripture. In fact, Woodrow will be here this summer preaching in our summer series. Theodore Epp said this. He said, we ought to live. If you want a perspective, here you go. We ought to live as if Christ were crucified yesterday, then arose from the dead today, and he's coming back tomorrow. Like John the Apostle, who 
Jesus says, I'm coming. And, and okay, please, Lord, amen, come quickly. Today, at the latest tomorrow, live with the perspective as if Jesus Christ were crucified. Yesterday, that's how fresh his atonement is for you, his sacrifice for you who believe. Live as if he rose today. We're, we're, we're meeting today on the Lord's Day because of the honor we give the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why the church by Acts 20 chose Sunday over Saturday. Live as if he rose from the dead today. Live as if he's coming back tomorrow. With your heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment, maybe all of this hubbub over the last few days caused you to be curious enough to come today. Or maybe you've been attending for a while and and you really haven't settled your eternal reservation with Christ. And even though you saw the date come and go, you still are troubled in your heart because you know the gospel is true and maybe we can help you spiritually. I would love to take the Word of God to show you how you can come to be personally related to Him by the new birth. Faith in Him alone. Because, listen, friend, Jesus Christ could come for His church before we leave the parking lot. Are you ready? Father, we, we want to pray right now as a body for so many people discouraged, now facing bankruptcy. You think of the Hmong people already so brutally treated, hoping beyond hope that this would be their escape. Many of them, no doubt, truly believing in Christ. And today they're making their way back from the border of Vietnam and Laos to their villages. And we can't imagine how heavy their hearts are. We can't help but think of this woman who set aside her career in medicine. This one individual who spent his life savings. This couple who have a little baby but timed everything so that they'd have nothing. These were statements of their faith, yet misguided. I pray that those around them who truly believe in you will help, encourage. Well, Lord, I pray for this flock, for protection against the myths of mankind, against all that would please the enemy. He often, instead of trying to destroy us, will gladly distract us and deceive us. Keep us textually bound. Thank you for speaking through your word to us. I pray that you would help individuals in this flock as they go back to their jobs, help them to remain gracious and kind and patient, even though they may be mocked, made fun of, little slights here and there. We'll work through this by your Spirit's power and help. Help us to maintain a testimony of grace and truth. We pray it in Jesus' name and all the people said, Amen. Amen. 